RadioInfluence.com. As America's zone coach, premier thought leader, and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person. He has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries. He has coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin, Jim Fannin has been behind the scenes guiding individuals through the intricate process of peak performance. His success tools are not just for the superstar. They're designed to help you reach your full potential as you tap into life's most successful mindset, the zone. And now, please welcome the coach of champions and America's zone coach, Jim Fannin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. I'm Jim Fannin, your host, and my co-host, Seth Hurd and producer. Seth, are you in the zone? It's been a very zone week, actually, yes. And I think that actually more and more zoniacs are getting into the zone and staying into the zone as we continue to pick up steam here on uh, on the Jim Fannin Show. Well, a zoniac, uh, these are our listeners, and it's an individual that wants to be in the zone in every aspect of their lives. And uh, yeah, I think who's in the zone is one of our segments. And there's a lot of people we could pick. Uh, there's a lot of teams we could pick because of uh, MLB uh, playoffs. Uh, some football teams are already in the zone, getting off to the start uh, of the NFL season. Uh, you've got the NBA making some uh, last-minute roster changes. But I got to tell you, the feedback that we've been getting of people that have taken just one or two tips and the feedback of being in the zone in their sport, in parenting, in their business, it's really been amazing. So who's in the zone? It's all of our listeners that have been uh, writing in to ask Jim, but uh, instead of asking, they've been telling us, uh, really what's going on in their life, and we appreciate Please keep that up. Send your comments. Definitely send questions or concerns to AskJim at JimFannin.com. But Zoniacs, you all are in the zone. And you know who else is in the zone is our, our guest today as we talk about the topic of challenges. Uh, Jeff Crischel has done some amazing things and is working actually around the world to expand baseball but I also, before we get into the interview, I want to talk about something that he's really in the zone in that, that I see, and that is Jeff is a, a radio host and podcaster. I have seen a revolution in the last few years in sports coverage that the traditional way to cover sports was just to say things really loud. It's like, whoa, look at that dunk. Look at that touchdown. And now it's a lot more about the content of people really looking at something and saying, okay, this is why that dunk happened or that touchdown happened. Let's go ahead and break down the play. And... I think sports are a lot more enjoyable because of it. I think it's a lot more fun to follow because of it. Uh, and guys like Jeff are out there on the front line saying, we're going to do something completely different that has not been done in sports coverage before and uh, really open up the game for everybody to see. And that's one of the things that I really love about listening to his uh, his podcast. You can find it at RadioInfluence.com or you can search Crush Sports. Assuming you're not in the Edmonton area, we can listen to it on 1290 AM. Yeah, we'll talk about this with Jeff, but one of the things, uh, you know, strength and conditioning coach, so he obviously saw a lot of challenges that athletes were having on a personal level, 
as they came into the training room, physical challenges, uh, being a strength and conditioning uh, coach uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, so he's very skilled. He's also a good listener. He asks great questions, and he really honed that with professional athletes, asking questions to find out what is the challenge, what's the root of the cause uh, of what's happening in your body. And, and Jeff definitely has mastered that, but he's parlayed that in, in inquisitive nature to find out what's the root cause. Well, he's parlayed that into a, into a podcast and a terrestrial radio show in Canada. So uh, I'm looking forward to having my good friend, uh, Jeff Cruschel, on our show today. Jeff, welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. How are you? Very good, Jim. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, I am so excited to have you on the show. I've been on uh, Crush Performance, your show, uh, uh, based in Edmonton, and uh, you've got an interesting career. Uh, I first became aware of you uh, when you were with the Toronto Blue Jays, and uh, I know you've uh, uh, been a strength and conditioning coach in Major League Baseball. Uh, Carlos Delgado, I believe, was our first contact uh, where I became aware of you, and I think you became aware of me. I coached Carlos when he was with the Blue Jays and, uh, of course, the rest of his career. Um, our show today is about challenges, and I know this is a topic that you're interested in, challenges that kids have. Uh, but before we get into challenges of uh, kids in sports, and I want to hear your take on it, you had an amazing trip to Africa with Major League Baseball. Tell me about this trip. Tell me what it was about, uh, how it came about, and how you wound up in uh, Africa uh, talking about the nuances of baseball to a whole new generation of uh, new baseball players. How did that go? Yeah, no, it was incredible, Jim. I have to say I've been very, very privileged. Uh, you know, after I uh, stepped down from the Blue Jays, you know, we were having a new baby and uh, had, of course, the, uh, the health issues with my parents and, you know, sort of that time in, in the life cycle, uh, different challenges here and there. Um, when I was done with the Blue Jays, uh, I, I was communicating with some really interesting people at Major League Baseball who were interested in game development. And uh, they were looking at, you know, just raising the awareness of, you know, what it's like to put together a really solid long-term baseball program. And we've been working in Europe for a few years and wound up talking to some great people in Africa and looking at the potential talent pool in Africa and ways we might be able to grow the game. And uh, we had a camp there in December, which was fantastic. The scouting guys went over and had tryouts in different regions. Uh, in, in the continent and looked at South Africa as sort of our home base and uh, brought all these great young players down to uh, South Africa to have sort of just a, a real great baseball experiences. The local coaches were involved. Uh, we brought great coaching staff with professional and college experience. Uh, Ex-players were involved. And I'm telling you what a humbling experience that was just to see I maybe the power of sport, Jim. I don't know how other to say it, but the power of sport it exists at all four corners of of the world. But uh, to give young players an opportunity to to get better at something they're passionate at was just so rewarding. It's one of the most incredible things that I've personally ever done professionally. 
You know, Jeff, one of the most incredible moments of sports bringing us together I ever saw was on my first trip out of the country when I was 18 years old. Go to Costa Rica, expecting to walk in and find somebody that barely speaks English and kind of have to fumble through bad Spanish to get checked into my hotel, right? Walk in. It's a Ugandan immigrant. He looks at me. I'm six foot six. He assumes I love the game of basketball, which I do. And he just looks me dead in the eye and he said, Kobe had 40 points today. <laughs> so I'm expecting, <laughs> you know. It's, it's universal. Well, that, I, <laughs> that, that experience, uh, and I've given uh, tennis clinics around the world, golf clinics, it is pretty amazing. And the humbling thing is when you see a young athlete and you've introduced them to what you believe are just some basics, but for them it's like uh, a water hose to someone that has not drank water in a couple of years. And uh, one of the things that stuck out in an article I read that you were in, teaching visualization to these kids in Africa on, on how to visualize success. Were you a part of that? How, was, how did that play? Yeah, well, Jim, and again, I've been incredibly lucky in my professional career to be around experts and, and professionals like yourself that have, have helped athletes that, that I've worked with, you know, go to the next level. And you pick up great ideas and great hints. And the, the goal of going into Africa was just to sort of plant some seeds and give them exposure to all the different areas involved in helping, you know, become a top performer. And, and the great thing about this, as you know, and you talk about on your show all the time, is these skills go well beyond the arena of sports. So, you know, it turns into these incredible, powerful life skills in business and school. And, you know, we've had contact with parents and coaches just to say how these young boys are turning into young men, but they're maturing. And now we're giving them tools through sports that's going to help them in everything they do. It's been rewarding. But the visualization side for a lot of these uh, young players uh, was was really new territory for them. They just hadn't had the exposure to actually thinking about what they should be thinking about, and right. that's how basic we that's how basic we started. Guys, listen, what are you trying to accomplish? And and try to imagine what that looks like, and then you'd break it down into sort of a task orientated sort of a thing. But this all comes back to our, I guess maybe the theme of the show is just overcoming those challenges. I guess maybe the first part in overcoming the challenges really, truly understanding what that challenge is in the first place. And it turns out to be this all-powerful tool that gives, you know, these young athletes direction where to go because, frankly, they don't know. And how, how can they know if they've never experienced it before? So it's such a treat. And, and just on that, I just have to mention this because I'm just really proud to be part of this. You know, um, earlier in the Major League season here, the Pittsburgh Pirates called up a great young player, Gifton Gope, who is the first – ever African-born player to play Major League Baseball. That's, uh, amazing. That's, amazing. That's amazing. Oh, it really is. It, it's, it's such a treat. And Gift was part of our program, our development program, back in 2005, 2006 is when we first met him. Uh, he signed with the Pirates. He worked his way constantly getting better. And the Pirates get a lot of credit here um, because he was in the Pirates organization for seven years, but always constantly improving, slowly improving, until he finally hit the big leagues earlier this year. To see that happen, you guys, I'm not going to tell you. I got a little verklempt and uh, uh, teary-eyed. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. It was, it was, uh, it was quite an emotional thing and uh, gives such a special young man. And it's going to bode well uh, for the game in baseball and for the young athletes in Africa um, 
uh, to give them hope that, hey, man, it can be done. I mean, the door is open now. So a very, very exciting year this year for, for baseball and our development programs. I feel like we're listening to something that I'm going to see in a documentary later, like the first year that Africa broke into Major League Baseball. Like I see that, that that's going to be a 30 for 30 on ESPN. And, and the Ugandan team, I believe it's Ugandan. It, correct me if I'm Yes. It, yeah. They're formidable. And I believe made it to the Little League World Series. I, I believe that's correct. <laughs> and uh, yeah. they're going to be on the world stage. You know, when, when someone breaks through for the first time, breaks a barrier, it doesn't just impact that person's life. It's going to impact hundreds of people back in their community to get them fired up about baseball. And I'm sure most people in, in some of these communities I've never seen a baseball game, much less heard about baseball. But once someone breaks through on the world stage, boy, it changes an entire community. It certainly does. And for Jim, I'm going to just humbly say this. It's going to change the approach in a continent. South Africa has been impacted by this young man and his perseverance and his willpower and his determination. And he's a beautiful person on top of it all. Just fantastic. And when that documentary does come out, gentlemen, and I, it, it has to come out, when you see where he came from and to where he is now, oh, my gosh, this is something that, again, transcends sports in general. This is a beautiful story of just will and determination. It's fantastic. But, Jim, you're so right. It goes well beyond sports, and it's impacting so many people already. I think the other thing that's going to be a shock to the system is how much money this kid's going to make. <laughs> that's shocking uh, uh, right. from somebody yeah, yeah. that, you know, is right. in poverty. And then to go back and, and have everyone look at him, he's, how much are you making? $5 million or whatever, the, whatever that number is going to be or is. <laughs> that's a shock to the system. It's hard to comprehend, I'm sure, for a lot of people where he lives. No question. And the beautiful thing about this is he gets his meal money. He goes, what is this? <laughs> you know, it's a hundred dollars a day for meal money for crying out loud when you're up there. So he, he's appreciating the meal money. That's how beautiful this is. Oh my goodness. Yeah. When you're fired up about meal money, uh, you don't have a, a concept of major league of baseball salary. of what you're, yeah. How much money you're actually going to make. Well, let's bring it back to Canada and, and let's talk about the youth in Canada, the challenges of the youth in Canada. I'm sure there's the same challenges around the world, but I know that kids and, and sports and hockey and baseball and all the other sports, you know, that's really near and dear to you on kids in sports. What are the challenges in Canada? You know, yeah, and, and Jim, you know, I think Canada's a really interesting environment. You know, leading up to the Leading up to the 2010 Vancouver Olympics, uh, Canada was, I guess, maybe really personified by, I guess, its reputation. Very friendly, uh, very all-for-one, one-for-all, even play. You know, even in our Olympic national sport, um, prior to Vancouver, uh, it was sort of like, okay, hey, look, everybody gets a chance to go and compete. It's a fantastic, beautiful thing. But I think there was a big shift when they got the bid for the 2010 Olympics. Um, that changed sort of the landscape in Canada. Uh, and for people who don't know, uh, I did my degree at University of Calgary. In varsity sports, I am mesmerized by varsity sports in the U.S. It's an incredible, it's an incredible thing that, that 
a lot of Canadians just can't get their heads around at a, uh, at a, at a varsity football game in Canada, you might be lucky if you get 500 people attending, maybe on the championship game, the Vanier cup, you might get a few thousand. And when we see hundreds of thousands of people packing stadiums for college football down in the States, it's incredible. When we see the baseball games, you know, getting 20 to 30,000 people for, um, you know, a varsity football game. When we see Friday night high school games getting 30,000 people, high school football oh, yeah. games. Texas, it, Texas it, I, I coach a quarterback uh, last year, Texas senior uh, quarterback, 20,000 packed every <laughs> game. Unbelievable. The great it's news. incredible, Jim. And like that in high school, college isn't that much of a shock because you already played in the stadium. And, well, you right. know, yeah. it, the, you can see the challenge right off the bat. And, and one of those challenges, you know, when you're a star high school with 20,000 uh, packed into the stadium, everybody in the city knows who you are. Everybody, you probably can't go anywhere. No different than a Kobe Bryant or a LeBron James just traveling around the world. You're a star in your city. That puts an inordinate amount of pressure on a young athlete. And all of a sudden, uh, and I'm, I'm seeing this a lot, uh, all of us are, high school athletes thinking about their brand. It's like, brand? Dude, you, you need to think about the basics of your game, not your brand. And uh, Canada may not have gone through that transition yet. But once high school sports become big business and college sports, big business. But it is big business. Uh, U.S. has a, an amazing system, but it comes with a lot of risk. It comes with a lot of challenges for the individual athletes. Tell me about hockey. Let's talk hockey in Canada. Uh, obviously mm -hmm. that's the national pastime, uh, youth hockey. What's the challenges of youth hockey today for a hockey, young hockey player growing up? Yeah. And I think, you know, to really understand those challenges, Jim, to take a big picture of this and, and you sort of alluded to it there. Um, one of the issues that we're facing in Canada, and I'm frankly seeing it on every continent in the planet now is this idea where, you know, the developmental kids sports have turned into an industry. And this year, you know, developmental sports will generate in North America, that's Canada and the U.S., will generate over $15 billion. And, gentlemen, I, I, I'm... That's a I'm wow. Really, that's a wow. wow. That's a big wow. 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 That's yeah. a lot of dough. And it's a lot of dough, and it, it, that equals, you could have a byline right there. I would put as a byline, big trouble for developmental sport because as soon as the developmental sport turned into a business and guys were paying their mortgages and buying their cars and feeding their families on the development of young athletes, we changed the course of, of history in terms of sport development. And we're seeing it now. Look, the dropout rates, gentlemen, in, in developmental sport are at an all-time high. In the age of 13, 14, and 15 years of age, we're seeing a 70% dropout rate of organized sports. Kids are burnt out. They're not having fun. They're, they're tired of being screamed at and, and criticized. So we have a real, real issue in the developmental model. And this, I think, Jim, you know, regardless of what sport we're talking about, um, is, is one of the big challenges now that kids have to face. How are we, how are we possibly going to raise great, young, you know, healthy people when we're, we've turned the developmental model into an industry? We're seeing specialization. Uh, we're seeing specialty coaches. 
We're seeing families taking out second mortgages to put their kids into special sports schools for crying out loud. It's really, in my humble opinion, gentlemen, out of control. Um, I, I, just, so I think, I just, you know, I, I, I just received this week uh, a text from an acquaintance of mine, and uh, he sent me a video of his six year old son golf swing. And he said, what do you think? Do you see the pro tour? And I, and I, I get this and I'm thinking, what are you out of your mind? Pro tour? I have no idea. I mean, it, it, quite frankly, the swing was impressive and it looked like a pro, but I think that's the big challenge with individuals. Parents see dollars. They see, uh, all this, uh, publicity. Uh, their whole family brand has increased because, you know, instead of who I am, I'm now the father of Joe Smith. Uh, I'm the mother of John, John Smith, the athlete. And then you throw in social media, which can label people in so many ways. And now I'm a victim. Now I'm a judge. And this is about as far away as being a champion, a true champion in life, as you can get Social media is not helping this de development of young athletes. It really isn't. And uh, no, you you can watch in the U.S. Uh, on certain outlets almost any high school game now. Wow! Around the yeah. country, you can go in and watch a high school football game. You can uh, there's a network based actually in Kentucky uh, that's connected all of the high school sports together. Uh, and, and if they do have any kind of TV local, you can tap into it. So grandma can watch their, their grandkid play, but it's putting undue pressure on kids. I think we need to teach the basics of discipline, of how to focus, uh, of confidence. And you also need to, we need to teach kids on how to be world-class decision makers instead of allowing oh. social media do the decision. What's happening in hockey? Is this, is this changed hockey development? Yeah, it, it really has, Jim. We've seen, we've seen academies, hockey academies that cost as much as $70,000 a year for these kids to attend. We have academies that wow. cost $15,000 a year. The average cost for playing hockey right now, just average, you know, uh, developmental hockey through, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age is around $3,000 for a family now. So, uh, the cost is, is pretty high, and that has a lot to do with the ice, but the equipment is pretty expensive. Um, but hockey, you know, on the other side, if we look at Hockey Canada, which I'm very proud of, you know, being a Canadian, but to see how they operate, they're doing some really, really good things to raise awareness on development. And, and again, I think everybody who's involved in sports understands the importance in terms of, and the power of sport in terms of development. It's just such a great outlet for so many young people uh, to get active and express themselves. Hockey Canada has done, done an interesting thing here, guys, the last few years. Um, they've noticed and they've seen the issues, you know, in terms of specialization and the overuse injuries and the burnout rates. And they came out uh, a couple of years ago with a list of the best, the top six off-season sports, summer sports for hockey players. And they listed things like baseball and lacrosse and basketball and mountain biking and a bunch of different sports. And now what's happening in Canada is this great big movement between all the sporting organizations play multiple sports at the developmental level. So there's some really, really great things happening on the developmental side. And Hockey Canada, I'm very proud to say, is 
is one of the leading organizations in that, those types of movements. I, I think another challenge, uh, if, if I can throw down another challenge, you know, if you are a coach in an academy, the sport is irrelevant, you're going to make your mark by how many awesome players you've developed. And so the tendency is to showcase these stars and put more emphasis on your stars because that elevates uh, many coaches to a higher level. And, and I understand that. I, I've run a tennis academy before. I've been involved in a lot of academies. But that's also a challenge. And, and I think by treating stars differently, promoting stars to promote your own name, uh, whether it's conscious or subconscious, it definitely has a, a damaging impact on the kids that aren't stars. And, and I, think, yeah. I think that can contribute quite a bit uh, to people dropping out. But that total that you gave about the dropout rate, that's disturbing, really, because sports it, is such a viable thing. Re- yeah, re- and, and re- there was a re- repeat that again. What, what is that stat again? That, that's, that's yeah, a- the, the, the original stat, believe it or not, guys, the original stat was from uh, 2010, 2011. Uh, the study was done, I believe, at the University of Michigan. They, they sort of recaptured this, and this was a massive, massive study. This is the, and these are U.S. numbers now. Uh, which reflect very, very similar what's happening in Canada. But it's estimated the dropout rate for organized sport is 70% through the ages of 12, 13, 14 years old. Kids are just burnt out and fried. And you know what? Here's the biggest thing. And, and there's a bunch of great articles out there sort of that have done these massive surveys. The number one reason kids play sport in the first place is they want to have fun. The number yeah. one reason they drop out is they're not having fun anymore. Number two, um, and again, I'm, these no, this might not be exact. I'm just going out in my memory. But the top reasons the kids are dropping out is, one, they're not having fun anymore. They're not playing with their friends. They, they're tired of being yelled at and criticized by coaches. And in the top, top reasons there, guys, one of the top reasons, which was really interesting to me, was the ride home with the parents, believe it or not. Um, oh, my goodness. And, and, I, and I think we all know what, what, what that means, right? So I, I so had a – just sort of. I, I had a friend of mine on the pro tour some years ago telling me about the ride home with his mom after a tournament when he was a junior. Now, this is a professional athlete telling me uh, the horror of him growing up playing junior tennis tournaments. If he lost, he rode home in the trunk. Oh, my gosh. His wow. Mom, his mom Put him in the trunk. You don't need to see the light of day. I'm ashamed of you. You were horrible. Get your ass in the trunk. Can you imagine? Now, he obviously made it through that uh, horrific, I mean, that's abuse at the highest level. And I I also witnessed uh, a mom during a third set match at a junior tournament at my former club that I own. I saw her hit her daughter with a closed hand because she dropped the second set, had to go into a third set. I saw it. And, uh, and I confronted the mom. And it, it was an ugly situation. I, it was one of those things where I didn't even know how to, how to handle it at the moment. But I see that. And mainly it's because parents have a vision of what their kid can do. They have this expectation and if they don't meet that expectation, which is hard to do because the expectation is so high, 
there's the conflict. But you know what? Sports has the opportunity for parents to bond with their kid, to really oh, talk about what yeah. happened and, and what were the takeaways that were positive and how are you going to incorporate that in the next time? What did you learn? And it's a time uh, where parents can make uh, their son or daughter aware of something positive. Even if they did something negative, the awareness of it so that you can prevent that again. It's, it's really a great uh, opportune time uh, to bond. I'm not sure what parents do, but it is the perfect time to do that. Yeah. You know, I have three daughters, guys. Um, and, you know, growing up with them, and of course, in, in, in our lifestyle of professional sports, we're away a lot. So, you know, when I got a chance to actually spend more time with the girls, um, my middle daughter really loves skiing. So we got her into a ski club. And uh, it was challenging. And I remember, this is a really interesting story. And, and I just, I love this story. So I'd like to share it with you guys. Please. We were up at a local hill called, called Marmot Basin in Jasper. Beautiful, beautiful mountain hill. And uh, she's skiing away. And we're taking the blue runs. And I'm going, hey, you know, it's my middle daughter. She's, she's a little bit of a daredevil. I said, okay, be careful. Be cautious. You know, just a, and the great thing about skiing is we, just a family time. Riding up the lift, talking and, you know, challenging each other and having a great time. And she wanted to do this black diamond run under the lift. I said, hey, honey, that's a, that's a pretty tough one. She goes, Dad, I'd really like to try it. I said, okay, let's go slow and steady. And just so you could see what it's like, I'm okay with it. And so she starts <laughs> down this black diamond run. And she's on her back bump, partway down. And she's crying because she's so scared. And I said, and so we eventually take her skis off. She slides down. And I said, well, hey, good, good for you for trying. Later in the day, get this. And we talked, this looks very tough. You know, that's a tough run. You did a great job, though. And later in the day, get this. This is a, this is a uh, 11, 11 years old at the time she was. And later in the day after lunch, she goes, Dad, I'd like to try that run again. I said, honey, you know, you, yeah, maybe next time. She goes, no. She goes, I'd, if, I don't, if I don't face my fears, I'll never overcome my fears. And so she wow. worked her way down. Yeah, listen to this. And she, she worked her way down on her skis, slow and steady. I was so proud. She wound up going on joining the next year, joining the freestyle ski club and, you know, joining the club and doing flips and flying through the air like the freestyle mogul skiers do. And she's a beautiful, fantastic skier. But how about an 11 year old going, dad, if I don't face my fears, I'll never overcome my fears. I'm going, hey, I'm learning from my 11 year old right here. That, for crying out loud. It was fantastic. Uh, that is an amazing father daughter experience. Uh, success is getting up one more time from defeat. Very quickly, I was giving my daughter uh, when she was seven a tennis lesson. You know, I played on the tour and I go out there, I'm hitting balls with her. And we come up to the net and she looks me right in the eye and she goes, Are you my dad or my coach? Wow. Jeff, I, 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 I was. My heart dropped out of my chest. I said, baby, I'm your dad. And we left that moment and went and got some ice cream. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm your father. I'm your dad. And I got her, I got her another coach in my academy to be her coach. Uh, I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, if I hey, that was worth a double scoop, I'm sure, right? That double was a double that day. Scoop. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, Jim talks a lot it. about um, about raising world class decision makers, right? Can you put me in, into your shoes there a little bit? An 11 year old skiing a black diamond. Obviously, there's some great life lessons there. Even when you know it's the right decision, was that a little bit of a challenge for you to be like, oh, okay, go for it again? 
Yeah, no, it certainly was. And, and you know, this is a lift, it's a run that was right under the lift so everybody could see. She wasn't worried about the crowds or anything. Um, the snow conditions were really great. Uh, her mom was off her, off her rocker, so we just sort of sneaked away from, from mom. And, and uh, she gave it a try. I was totally confident. I just, you know, we just step by step, slow but sure, and she snowplowed her way down the Black Diamond Run. But you know what I, I discovered? It gave her a perspective. You know, the first time down, she understood how, and she was scared. Those were real tears. She was scared. I had to climb up the hill and click her out of her skis and help her slide down the first time down. But she actually got maybe a perspective of what a black diamond run is all about because she'd been skiing the blue runs, no problem. She goes, time for me to step it up, I guess, it was her mindset. And the second time down, slow and steady and in control. Slow and steady and in control. That was sort of our mantra as we were going up the lift because I could tell she was a little nervous. And then I'm not joking, gentlemen, it's, it's, I, I, Jim, maybe you can shed some light on this. It was like, um, a wall had broken down and I'm telling you within that year, there's not a run on any ski hill that she wouldn't take on. Just, she understood maybe how to go about, how to go through the process of attacking a new run and, in maybe a, even a dangerous situation. It's just, it was really, really interesting to, to watch her overcome that. And then a few years later, skiing moguls, you know, uh, and, and doing flips off jumps in a mogul field just a few years later. Incredible wow. to watch, gentlemen. What, what a yeah. difference. Well, what a difference a year make. You, you know, kudos to you, Jeff. I mean, literally what you did is give your daughter, you gave her permission to meet her fears. And you not only gave her permission to do that, uh, you gave her encouragement. I'm here with you. I'm going to help meet these fears. I'm right here. And she had that security that you were there, even though you're sneaking off from mom because you never want mom to know some of this stuff uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, risk and dangers. I've done the same thing with my, my daughters. But you gave permission, and, and I, I think that's really the lesson for anybody uh, listening is there are fears. There are challenges. Walk along with someone. Be right there with them, but give them permission to go for it. Take a risk. You'll be fine. I, I believe in you. I trust you. That was a giant confidence boost, not only uh, as a skier. I'm sure that impacted her confidence in everything she does. Yeah, yeah, and I think so, Jim. And, you know, it goes to sort of that idea that, you know, I, and I really believe it served her well. She's now 19. She's starting her first year of university, and uh, she's doing fantastic. Um, and again, again, maybe this goes to the power of sport, the crossover to the decisions she's making in life now are, it's incredible to watch this young, this young lady now come together as my daughter and, you know, enter the university and, you know, have plans for her future now. And the one thing I think that was really interesting is her realization that it's okay to fall down. I think the one thing she really learned, and I think most of our athletes were very patient with, especially in baseball and our hockey guys. Um, it's okay to fail as long as we learn, learn from, from, from what went wrong. And that's a, that's a process in itself. I think one of the toughest things in life uh, is when our expectations don't match the reality. And that's, right. that's one of those, oh, wow. And, and that's where a parent needs to step in and be there for your kid because expectations, their expectations – Sometimes it's so high, way, 
way too high. And so there are great lessons. And, and I think sports does that. That's why I encourage all parents, let your kids play every sport. Because I, losing um, is a lesson. And there's great lessons from losses. I, I'm coaching a lot of high school uh, athletes right now and college athletes. And most of my conversation is about how to handle the loss, how to get back up one more time from defeat, what they think, what they learn, what the takeaways. And, uh, well, you got to be proud of your kids. You've done that. It sounds like you've turned your 19-year-old into a world-class uh, decision maker. And uh, that's something that uh, dads are fearful of when they go off to school. You know, be smart, be alert, make sound decisions. So congratulations on that. Let me change gears and go back to terrestrial radio. You've got a very successful show in Canada, uh, Crush Performance, uh, K-R-U-S-H Performance. And um, there's challenges with having a radio show. There's challenges with having a podcast. There's challenges with doing a lot of things. What are your biggest challenges with your show? Yeah, I think so. Uh, up here, we're on TSN 1260, and the group there is fantastic, Jim. And just to give people a little background, when I uh, moved back home uh, from from the Blue Jays, um, sort of the local guys heard I was back, so they just wanted to talk shop. Hey, what's it like inside the world of, of professional baseball? More than happy to share. So I, I went on the morning show and the afternoon show locally in, in my hometown of Edmonton a couple of times. And um, after a couple of, of guest interviews, one of the station guys came to me and said, Hey Jeff, have you ever thought about doing a show? We get a really good response after, you know, you talk, would you be interested in doing a show? I said, yeah, but what the heck does that look like? I'd never had any intentions of doing any broadcasting, but I quickly learned this might be a great way to just help get people thinking about what they should be thinking about. And Jim has turned into this great thing. Some of the great challenges I think we face, you know, um, I'm not a, a classically trained uh, radio host. So I think maybe I'm very conscious of my presentation and how I pre present. I'm a real fast talker, <laughs> which isn't, which isn't great for radio at times, but I get so fired up about what we're talking about and all the experts like you who we have on the show are graced with uh, the knowledge and sharing of knowledge with, with experts like yourself. Um, well, I, I, you know, I, gotta, I have to give you kudos. I, I will tell everyone listening right now, I would not have my own show if it wasn't for you. And, and you're, oh. uh, it's true. Uh, I, I've had a podcast in the past. Uh, I've thought about it uh, recently, uh, but I was on your show several times. You and I had such a great time talking uh, uh, about a myriad of things, but the same topic of sports. And um, you introduced me to Radio Influence uh, down in Tampa. And uh, next thing I know, I got a show, and now you're on, on my show. But I, I have to tell you, thank you. Uh, it's your influence, and uh, you inspired me. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to have my own show, and, uh, and, and here we are. So thank you for that. Oh, no, hey, my pleasure. I'm, I'm first of all, flattered at that. That's, that's incredible. And, Jim, I'm just telling you, you know, it, the, more, the more great information that gets out there in my books, the better it is for everybody. So, yeah, this is fantastic, and thanks for having me on today. Um, you know, and, and it's not easy to get out in front, you know, it's to stay current, to give information. You know, we get, we get emails that, that criticize some of the things we talk about and some of the opinions we share. 
Um, and here's a great example. Uh, and this is just, we try to keep it real. Like I try to keep it real. We're really based on the science. It's really not opinion though. I do have some opinions on things, but here's a classic example, getting back to minor hockey and hockey and the radio show. It all ties it together. A few years ago, hockey Canada decided to ban body checking up to the age of 13, which is peewee hockey, 12, 13 years of age. And there was massive pushback in the, in the hockey world. Well, I set out to do a really big show. Actually, it was a series of two or three shows on the ban of body checking in developmental hockey. One, why the decision was made, what the implications might be, and three, what the benefits are. And so we had all the experts on. And the number one reason for banning body checking was just to reduce injuries to young players. Make, makes the sense. It does, especially now what we know about concussions and brain injuries, especially the, the vulnerability of these young brains in these contact sports. It makes a ton of sense, especially when you understand the research. So, uh, Jim, at that point, I, I just couldn't understand the pushback from the parents. I said, look what we know about head injuries and injuries and reducing injuries. And look at the long-term implications when these injuries happen at a young age, when the brain is vulnerable and, and still developing. I said, how can we, how can anybody argue against it? I quickly realized people didn't have the facts. So one of the powers of this show we put together is there's a great opportunity just to, to really get to the bottom of things and spread the good word. I'm not going to lie to you. I think it's the first time I've ever had hate mail. You're oh my one goodness. of the reasons that you're one of the reasons. Oh my goodness. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was and I it 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 got me, Jim. I was almost ready to call you and say, Jim, hey man, I got some hate mail. I don't know how to deal with this, man. Holy smokes. You I, know, because you're trying to do some good things, but you get hate mail for crying out loud. I think the purists don't want change. They want to keep everything pure. They don't want to change the rules. And uh, that's probably what uh uh what you ran into. But the number one thing in sports is not only to have fun. I mean, that, that's what it's all about. Get in the zone, play in the zone, feel the camaraderie with the team member, see that uh, you're an integral part of something greater than yourself. And, of course, then the second thing is be safe, you know. Right. Uh, there's so many knee injuries. And then this concussion thing, Jeff, I could have you back on and we could talk about that. That's frightening. I, I had two parents in the last two weeks tell me my kid is not going to play football. One is really, really good. And one is a star linebacker. And there's a big debate in their house right now whether she wants him to play football. He's on the team. He's playing. But, boy, if he has one concussion, he's out of there. So uh, th that, there is a big concern about uh, injuries with kids so young. Yeah. Yeah. I know, Jim, I would love to talk about that because I think there's a lot of misinformation and, and, and uh, misunderstanding when it comes to injuries and brain injuries in sports. We understand a lot. We still have a lot to learn, but now the procedures that we're taking to improve player safety, especially at the developmental levels is really, really encouraging. So that would be a great discussion. Hey, Hey, if I could just tell one other story about the radio show, is that okay guys? Yeah, absolutely. Because this is, this is uh, maybe we'll personify really, this is one of the rewards of doing the show. So um, in 2010, um, of course, the CDC and the World Health Organization released the most recent data, 2009 data on obesity and childhood obesity. And I'm not going to lie to you guys, I was scared out of my, out of my pants. It was 
I was really scared at those numbers. I'm going, oh my gosh, this is, a, this is we've got to do something about this. So I put together a four, I took an entire month, our show's on once a week. I took a, put together a four part series on raising the awareness, just getting behind the obesity epidemic in the world, US, Canada. And I got some of the world's top experts on. And that's one of the beautiful things about the radio show is you get to talk to these amazing people. Um, but I could tell you this, we never take, we're only an hour show, so we never take phone calls. But we had this one guy after our third show, we talked about childhood obesity and things parents can do and things kids need to think about. We had some great guests on. This person kept calling. So my producer, Connor Halley, I said, Jeff, hey, this, you should really talk to this guy. So I, after the show, I got on the phone and this, this uh, gentleman, he said, hey, Jeff, I just want to thank you for these shows. He says, listen, I was really heavy as a kid. I was bullied. I ate my lunch in the bathroom stall. And, and you know, I'm going to tell you right now, my son is heavy and he's going through some of the things that I was going through. I had no idea how to deal with it. Jim, listen, he started crying on the phone. Oh, my Because goodness. now he had a – yeah, and I'm telling you what, I'm getting goosebumps saying this story again. I think about this story all the time. He started crying on the phone thanking me because now he had an idea of what he could do to help his son not go through what he went through. You guys, I can't tell – I will keep doing this show for that phone call for as long as I possibly can. I could tell you that's, that's why we do it is just sort of to spread the good word. And that, that was one of the powerful moments in, in my life. I'm not going to lie to you. Well, that's really helping somebody overcome a challenge. You know yeah, what? Yeah. You're, and, you're, 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 well, I know you're so against sugar, the, the poison uh, that's poisoning our youth. Uh, likewise here, you, you will not find uh, uh, a product in, in, in my house that has sugar in it. Uh, it, so, uh, I'm concerned about that, but you know what, Jeff, that's changing someone's life one at a time. You can do that on your show. You've done that on your show. We, we, when I've been on your show, you've had response, uh, some of the things that you and I discussed. Parents are more active now with their kids. I think more concerned. Uh, there was a time when I didn't think that was the case, but I know that's the case right now. And there are experts all over the world. There are solutions to challenges. And I think parents need to look at the challenges that their kids face, find the solutions, and help their kids meet these challenges head on. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation. So having a show like yours that has accurate information for world-class experts, I mean, what a positive for the community. Kudos to you, Jeff. You got to keep doing what you're doing. And um, again, I, I love being on your show. Uh, the topics are always spot on and I know they're beneficial for all the listeners. Yeah, no, I really, really appreciate it. And, and thanks for having on your show. And Jim, I think for three years in a row, you know, we sort of, you know, review the, the, the show and, you know, we try to pick out some of the most powerful points. Um, and our conversation, our conversation on decision and decision-making has for the last three years been the number one uh, pick for, from our listeners as the most powerful, oh, I guess, wow. maybe point ever made, ever made on the show. And, and that was, that was the, um, the, the conversation where you shared the, the concept of the number one thing a parent can do for their child is help them become a decision maker. And, you know, we still get that feedback. So thank you guys so much. And thanks for coming on, Jim. I can't wait to have you on Crush Performance again here. 
I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm looking forward to coming to Edmonton. That's what I want to do. I love it up there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We'll look forward to it. And we're actually not, not lying. We're, we're, we're working on that constantly to figure out how we can pull that off. That will be a major coup for, for everybody for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think decision make, you know, your kid is only as good as what she or he thinks when you're not there. And mm, that's where that we, was it. That's where we need to ramp up and help our kids be decision makers. And the unfortunate thing about learning how to be a decision maker, you got to let your kids fail a little bit. You got to let them ski the black diamond. You got to let them ski the black diamond, and that's coming right back <laughs> to you. Well done, Jeff. Well, that was a great decision, and uh, you can look at that uh, gutsy 19-year-old you have right now and uh, go back to that moment on that black diamond run. Great decision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, fun times. And, and many more to come. I know that for a fact. Many more to come. Well, Jeff, thanks for being on the show. Get in the zone and stay in the zone. You're the best. And everybody tune in to Crush Performance. You can check it out. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it on um, uh, RadioInfluence.com, Stitcher. And where else can you find it? I think Google Play, you can find it as well. Thanks a lot, Jeff, for being on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. This is the moment when you get access to world-class coaching, just like an ever-growing legion of Zoniacs that are looking to live every aspect of their lives in the zone. Remember, you can send your question to askjim at jimfannon.com. That's askjim at jimfannon.com. And Jim, I'm going to go a little personal here before we actually get into some questions that were emailed in. Because... If I'm not open about my own successes and failures and that type of thing, then I'm not really learning along with the audience and helping you wherever you listen to the show get better, uh, right? Seth, lay down on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> we'll light it. We're lighting candles around Seth right now. Well, I just had this, this kind of revelation this week in my mind. Before I was introduced to the score system, I think, what I, I think what happens is a lot of people follow part of the score system without realizing it. So what I deemed, what I used to follow was like the scc system and what i mean by that would be self-discipline concentration too much of those things and then the third step was coma (laughs) because i eventually got so burned it's like why can't i do this why can't i think is there something wrong with me actually there was something wrong with me i had no optimism relaxation or enjoyment well i think relaxation enjoyment is missing with a lot of humans in the world today uh we are out of balance We are faced with more challenges than ever before. And what I'd like to do is really, what are these challenges? Now, in the score system, I call challenges score breakers. Now, this is external or internal stimuli that impacts your personal life. And it'll get you off your game. Uh, You can have a challenge that takes you out of being disciplined. You can have a challenge that drops your optimism with a snap of your fingers. You can have a dirty look. You can get an email, and you're confident, and all of a sudden you look at the email, you look at the text, and and your optimism is around your ankles. It can go up and down that fast. Um, So many things can stress us out. Watching the news can stress us out. So what I'd like to do, I'd like to just walk through your life. Okay. You meaning a Zoniac listening. And let's talk about what some of the challenges may be. 
And let's tackle maybe one of the toughest ones right off the bat. You know, you're so much more than your career. You're so much more than being an athlete. You're a soul having human experiences. But you also need to take care of yourself. And the self is one of the arenas. So what are the challenges for most people in terms of just you, no one else? And I think one is just taking care of your body. You know, we tend to take care of it when we're really hitting the head with a serious challenge. You know, I'll take care of myself once I realize I can't get into any clothes that I wear. Yeah. Well, well, that's obviously too late. I haven't really met that challenge because it was happening before my eyes in front of the mirror, and I did nothing about that challenge. Um, The challenge about what I eat, how much sleep I have, these are all going to impact me and every individual in a positive or negative way. So what are the score breakers for self? And one of them is the image of what a successful person is. We think it's rich and thin and articulate and uh, um, cool and calm and always have on shades when things are uh, tough. But that's really unrealistic. We're not all thin and we're not all rich and we're not always cool when we're faced with a confrontation. So managing yourself, the first thing I would do is, what do you want? What's ideal for you? What's your vision of what you'd like your body to be? It may never be Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was the uh, world's uh, most perfect body years ago. It may never be that. But what's your optimum self? And what are the score breakers around you? Uh, It could be uh, whoever's ordering food in your house. It may not be you. So, uh, you know, if somebody that's going grocery shopping is bringing home uh, Twinkies and they're there, (laughs) well, you know, I'm in Rome, do what the Romans do. I'm going to eat Twinkies. You need to have a discussion with whoever's buying the groceries about what you would like. And maybe you're the one that needs to go to the grocery store instead of someone else. But you need to really take take charge because the uh, challenges, they're pretty vast in terms of your own well-being, your own wellness. Then you can look at personal finance. I think this is a big challenge for a lot of people. You know, it's not how much money you make, Seth. It's how much you keep and how much is left in your pocket. We are a nation of non-savers. Yeah. We're a nation of poor financial planning. Uh, Where what have we done for me lately? And it's a situation where we tend to think, oh, if I had another $20,000 a year, if I had another $5,000 a year, it would be completely different. And what the evidence shows is that 20% of people making over $100,000 a year are a couple of paychecks away from being in some very real trouble. Because if you don't establish the habit of taking care of your finances and having a vision for where you want to go, it doesn't matter how much money you put in, you can find a way to not have any left over. Well, I, th- I think when it comes to personal finance, the, changes, the challenges are pretty simple. One, uh, we do have a challenge when I may outgrow uh, or outlive my money. That's a challenge. Yeah. You know, you, you have a nest egg, you've set money aside, and now you, you wake up and you're 104 years old and you've long uh, uh, depleted your savings. Absolutely. You, you've outlived it. Uh, 
Uh, I think the other thing is we don't always set aside money for an emergency. You know, this if you look at what happened uh, weeks ago in Houston, uh, that's a tragedy. And I know that caught a lot of people uh, personal, financially, not ready for an emergency, some emergency cash, something they could get their hands on quickly and leave with it. So my recommendation is have a plan, a financial plan. You don't need a financial advisor. This is some, but that would be nice, but we all can't afford that. But I would have a plan set aside how much out of your paycheck that you're going to put away. I would have an emergency plan at least six months. If I had no income, could I survive six months? And uh, how many of us have that emergency plan? Well, not as many as we should. We should all have an emergency plan. Things happen. Statistically, every adult person will face a major financial setback about every seven years. And you know, it, it could happen maybe even in your life a little more than that. But statistically, we know this is coming. So the time to plan for that is not five minutes afterwards and go, okay, now how do I do this? Well, you know, I, I, I got hit last month with uh, a whammy. Uh, I found out that I, I need a hot water heater and I need a new heating system. I'm like, okay, well, all right, let's do it. What, what's the bill? Well, it's approaching 10 grand. Yeah. And how many people have 10 grand sitting around in an emergency fund. But you know what? I could have planned for that. I could have been setting money aside for a new roof that I might need or a new water heater that is eventually going to uh, blow out and I'll need a new one. But most of us don't do that. You know, we, uh, and if an emergency does happen, what do we do? We slap it on a credit card. Now we're paying 10, 12 or more 20% interest. Uh, so what do we do? We're going to have financial challenges. Seth, you're saying once every seven years. Wow. Then we probably should have a seven-year plan of putting some money aside. So when that challenge happens, we're there. We're meeting it head on. Other challenges. At some point in your life, your parents, of course, raised you. They parent you. They coached you, they guided you, they told you exactly what to do and what not to do. They're the boss. It's their house, it's their money, and you live in one of the rooms. At some point, you're going to wake up and look at your mom and look at your dad and go, I'm now the coach. That's an amazing time of your life when you realize wow, I need to coach my dad. And I had that experience recently, uh, and I alluded that in one of the other shows. I go to New York, and the next thing I know, my daughter is coaching me. Dad, go here. No, dad, don't. Dad, dad, get it. And I'm looking around. I go, it's happening. <laughs> it's happening. The transition is here. My daughter, 32, is now coaching her old man. and. That has challenges. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be frustration. There's going to be impatience. They don't want to be coached. You don't want to coach them. That transition is happening with so many people right now. 
Don't forget, baby boomers, there's more of us than at any time in history. This, this group of humans, and we're right now 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. Our kids are now going to be coaching us. There is a transition taking place. That's a challenge. And uh, relax. Be a decision maker for mom and dad. Uh, but don't forget to ask positive questions. Don't forget to talk about their future. And I just had this with a client. I'll give one more tip. Memorialize an interview with your mother or your father. Don't wait. Yeah. Interview your parents. When I interviewed my mom and dad, thank goodness, before they passed away, I asked some pretty tough, tough questions. If you raised me differently, what would you have done? What disappointed you? What did I do that disappointed you? What did I make you most proud? And then I, I remember asking my mother, how many loves have you had in your life? You know what my mom told me? She told me about a marriage she had I didn't know about. That's a surprise as a that child. Was, I'm like, what? She was actually married before my father to a gentleman that got killed in World War II. Oh, wow. And she was only married maybe six months. Yeah. He goes off to war. He dies. And she never brought it up to me. It's amazing. But in the interview, I really started to know my mom. And I got to know my father at a level that I never knew growing up 17, 18, 20, even 30 years old. So this transition is going to be a challenge for everybody listening. You will be coaching your mom and dad at some point. You might as well get ready for it. And as they get older, go interview them. Memorialize it. If you can video it, well, now you'll have an posterity for the next generations to find out who your mom and dad really were. Challenges. Work challenges. I've never seen more challenges, Seth, at work than today. Companies, uh, even though they're prospering, they're trying to have fewer employees, pay fewer benefits, and get more productivity out of their employees. I'm seeing this not only in Fortune 500 companies, I'm seeing this in small businesses. And everybody wants a piece of the, of the American dream. Everybody wants to make more money. Everybody wants to control their own destiny. And a lot of people listening are frustrated because you don't feel you're in the right career. You don't feel you're in the right job. And it's frustrating. And you may or may not be appreciated. And you may be doing more work for maybe even less pay sometimes. I think you need to get in a helicopter, go 30,000 feet, relax, and start making some decisions. You have a challenge. Look at all your options. One of them is to stay where you are, adapt, and adjust to it. That's one option that you have. The other option, because I think it's the greatest time to be alive because of the Internet, that's good news, bad news, but it is a great time to be alive. Maybe you go off on your own. Maybe you start a new career. Maybe you get a new job. And I, I'm seeing this change a lot. People are being drawn to their passion. And if I make less money, but it's my passion, it's okay. 
It's okay. And if you don't go up to 30,000 feet, each time that I you know, have made a, a change from either a full-time situation to another full-time situation or to go out on my own, it's finally been something that pushed me, pushed me into the helicopter, so to speak, and really made me evaluate. And when I got to that 30,000-foot level, it was always like, hey, I haven't liked this for eight or 10 months. Why did it take me so long to evaluate my own life to, to realize that it's definitely time to make a change? I've outgrown this situation. And if you don't plan that in, I don't think that most people you know, who aren't zoniacs regularly are just kind of driving down the highway and say, I need to go to 30,000 feet right now and, and figure out what's really bothering me inside. Well, the good news about going up above uh, the situation, the condition or the circumstance is that the higher you go, uh, the, more, the less you'll be emotional about what you see. And you can actually play chess, if you will, uh, with some of the things in your life. Once a week, I'm encouraging all listeners, once a week, get alone, relax, find some quiet place on a sheet of paper, draw some circles that are containers of different aspects of your life. One circle will be self. That's you. That's your your, uh, wellness. That's your nutrition. It's just you. Two, draw another circle. That's your significant other. It's just the thoughts about her or him, what your vision is. Draw another circle. Put a dollar sign in it. That's your personal finances. That's just your money. No one else's. It's your money. Change in your pocket, equity in your house, uh, your savings, your 401k. In another arena, if you're a brother or sister, that's your sibling arena. Well, you'll have challenge. You had challenges when you were four and five years old. <laughs> You're still going to have challenges with siblings at 45 years old, especially when you all discuss how to take care of mom and dad. As we discussed, you're a son or a daughter. That's a separate arena. That's just you and your parents. What's another arena in your life? Your friends. You're going to find that you don't have as many really great friends as you think you might have. And then you've also got parenting. That's a separate arena. The sub-arenas are each of your kids. Now, on a sheet of paper, after you've drawn these circles, and you could also have a circle for hobbies, that's that 30,000 viewpoint. Look at those circles. What challenges do I have in these circles that I can prevent or that I can immunize myself from? And before you even understand the challenges, what do I want from this arena? What's the vision? What are the goals that are going to help that vision become real? So once a week, I'm encouraging all my clients, all the listeners, you got to go to higher ground. You got to get up in the helicopter once a week and just kind of peruse your life to see where you are and figure out where you might want to go. Now, does this work in conjunction with another activity? Like, can this work on the golf course, or does this really need to be dedicated time? No, this is dedicated time, and, and, and you could make uh, golf one of those circles, by the way, you yeah. know, if you're trying yeah, to yeah. lower your handicap. No, this is alone time. You know, I, I, th- I think we're only as good as what we think when we're alone, how we perceive life and how we perceive ourselves. Now, carve... 15, 20 minutes. It doesn't take a long time to do this. 
and just kind of walk through your life. What are the visions? What are the goals? What are my challenges? There's a lot of challenges. You know, we run a gauntlet, Seth, uh, of challenges that impact all of these arenas. And again, I think you make a little checklist, if you will. Uh, In my book, Score for Life, uh, I talk about that checklist. Make a checklist of the score breakers that are impacting you on a regular basis. You know, could be your mom, could be your brother, could be uh, your boss, or it could be a coworker, could be your nutrition, could be your lack of sleep. You know, score breakers come in all different sizes and shapes. There's internal score breakers, expectations too high or too low, uh, nutrition, internal score breaker, no water. We already know that impacts yeah. concentration, lack of hydration. And, and then what are the external score breakers? And there, there's a gauntlet of score breakers. I, I could wake up being in the greatest mood. My feet are on the floor. I'm out of bed. I'm in the zone. And I look outside and go, oh, no, it is miserable. It is raining. It's sleet, rainy, nasty. Oh, man. It's kind of cold that cuts into your bones, basically. Oh, yeah. I dread going out, starting my car, you know, and all of a sudden, I was in a great mood. Score breaker. I've allowed, looking out the window at the weather, I've allowed, looking at the traffic report, that the I-55 going downtown Chicago is backed up an hour and a half. These are all score breakers. We face these every single day of our life. Now, I want to dispel the myth that just because you become more successful in a certain arena means that these score breakers are going to go away. I heard recently a story that might seem a little comical on the, on the surface, but it's really not. It's really somebody who is dealing with a, a major problem that they hadn't figured out how to grow into. We keep it positive on the show, so I'm just going to say professional athlete you've heard of making a lot of money really, really in the zone in, in their sport, right? And calling their manager and saying... My gardener is stealing stuff from me. You got to get over here and deal with this. Like actually physically stealing things. <laughs> um, and you know somebody who has mastered you know one arena and then really should be focused on you know on that arena and on their family and not able to to make that call to say hey you you can't work here anymore because you're stealing. That's definitely a zone breaker, right? Oh, that's a score breaker. That's score a breaker. zone breaker. Yeah, it, it's look especially a professional athlete, they put all their happy eggs. This is not all. Most put the majority of their happy eggs in one basket. We do that in our careers. We'll put our happy eggs in one basket. And maybe we got it together. Maybe we're at the the peak of our profession. Maybe we're the best in the world. But that doesn't mean you're a true champion. You're a champion in one arena doesn't mean you're a great parent or great managing the personnel in your home like a gardener. You know, you you need to have a vision and corresponding goals for every aspect of your life. Most of us don't. We have one vision, and more than likely, we affix that vision to money, career, job, professional athlete. But like I told so many, well, every professional athlete, you're more than a baseball player. You're more than a football player. 
So once a week, go to higher ground, get in that helicopter, put the circles of your life, the arenas, one sheet of paper, and look at it. What do I think in each of these arenas? What's positive? What's negative? What are the score breakers that could keep me from realizing these visions and attaining these goals? Because score breakers, they're there. I mean, I'm running a gauntlet of score breakers every day. Many I don't see because I'm extremely positive. No negatives. But they're there. Yeah. And as soon as I get negative and have some introspection about what it is, oh, they're not only there, they're going to increase. So you need to immunize yourself. Almost like a. I remember I was coaching Robin Ventura, a Major League Baseball player, later became the manager for the Chicago White Sox. And before a game, he would take out an imaginary uh, needle uh, to give himself an imaginary shot, vaccination in his arm. And he would literally act like he's given himself uh, an injection to immunize himself from all the things that could cause him not to be in the zone. He did that before every game. That little tip to immunize himself, have thicker skin, uh, so that nothing would phase him. Nothing would take him out of the zone. You need to prepare for that. We're getting ambushed. In fact, never before in the history of mankind, if we had more information coming to us in so many different formats, so many different angles, from so many different opinions, and it's overwhelming. Too much info. That's a score breaker into itself. When, when you were saying about getting alone to go to that 30,000-foot place, right? I don't think you're alone if Twitter is with you. If you're skimming <laughs> through Twitter, nope, you're not alone. You're with a lot of people. You just don't see them right in front of you. Well, when I say alone, I, I'm talking totally detached from all humanity. You got to be alone in your thoughts. You're only as good as what you think when nobody's around. What you think in the confines of your bed as you put your head on the pillow and go to sleep every single night. Uh, the listeners have been on, listen to the show. You know that last 30 minutes is crucial. Think about what you think about. But think about what you think about in every life arena. You can be the most optimistic, positive person in the world until you go to your in-laws' house this weekend. Now you're thinking, oh, man, I'm dreading this. I mean, she's this, he's this. <laughs> Merely I, universal zone breaker. Yeah. Does it have to be? No. I, I think a mindset, there's no place I'd rather be than where I am right now. That's a mindset you can adopt. But you can only adopt and really adhere to that mindset. Even in, in the face of adversity, there's a lesson to be learned here. This is going to make me better. And when I overcome this adversity, I won't have to overcome it again. That's a mindset. And that mindset is really honed and forged in this alone time where you're sitting there visualizing exactly what you want in each of those life arenas, but you're also immunizing yourself like Robin Ventura against any score or zone breakers that are going to be there, external ones, internal ones. 
before we get into the questions, I actually want you to repeat that because I feel like for the growing legion of Zoniacs, man, this is such a key takeaway from this episode. He said, once you have to learn it, you don't have to learn it again, right? Hopefully. Hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully uh, every negative that you confront, uh, every bit of adversity that you have, there's a lesson there. And if it's learned, it's evaluated, it's analyzed, the odds are it won't be repeated again. But again, you need to take time once a week to not only peruse your life arenas, but you can even peruse what happened the last week. What have I done? You know, every Sunday night, I tweet out something like the following, at Jim Fannin on Twitter. So I, I'm... I continue coaching on Twitter. But every Sunday night, I'm tweeting out, it's seven days from now. You've had the greatest week you've ever had in your life. What have you done? What have you accomplished? And when I talk about accomplishments, I'm only talking about two, three macro goals. I'm not talking about getting a haircut or going buying a new suit. Have your goals set up every Sunday night for the next seven days. See it as if it's so. See it completed. And then most of my clients work in reverse from B to A. So it's next Sunday night. I'm awesome. I had the greatest week ever. What am I doing Saturday? What am I doing Friday? What did I accomplish Thursday? I'm walking chronologically backwards in reverse. What did I accomplish on Wednesday, Tuesday, What did I accomplish Monday? And what happens when you B to A, whatever you want, it illuminates a pathway like a runway at Chicago O'Hare at night. And now I can walk on it. Will I get uh, knocked off that pathway? I might. But by having a pathway of what I want, it's easy to get back on. I can find it readily because it's lit up and illuminated by me. And I've tried to do that. You know, we've got the month of October coming up. Yeah. Are you ready for the greatest October of your life? It is now November 1. What have you accomplished? What one, two, three, four, no more than five things have you accomplished to make yourself better? What have you done to make each of the arenas of your life more fortified? and better. We must keep evolving, keep getting better as humans in every aspect of our life. So a little bit of planning, a little bit of preparation, some very honest evaluation. Every Sunday night, I haven't missed a Sunday night, Seth, since 1974. Jim Fannin gets alone somewhere on this planet on Sunday night there's nobody there, no Twitter, no no phone, and I go to higher ground. I look down upon my life in the most positive way I can, go through every arena of my life. What were the challenges? What were the offsets? What are the score breakers? Who in that arena, other than me, is causing conflict, is bringing the P word, P-R-O-B-L-E-M, problems. And what do I do about it? How do I immunize myself? 
How do I help them be better? Or do I need to eliminate them entirely? Make decisions in your life. Make them every single day. Be that world-class decision maker. But I believe you need to go to higher ground at least once a week to help you make those decisions. And when you get there, if you realize there's still a challenge that, man, you haven't figured it out yet. Remember, you have access to world-class coaching at askjim at jimfannon.com. Let's go ahead and get into a couple that came in this week. We're good with us? All right. My company just went through a merger. I've always been a standout employee, but my new boss and I just don't get each other. He seems uh, to want me to know what he wants before he asks, and yet we've only worked together for a few weeks. So how can I do that? What's the path to getting back to doing a great job and working with a boss like this? Because I really do love the company. Oh, that's a tough one. And I think mergers, acquisitions, those are tough. It's two cultures forced, forced to blend together. And of course, when you have a merger and acquisition, one plus one is supposed to equal three or more. Yeah. Or what's the point of the merger? or the acquisition. When there's an acquisition, unfortunately, sometimes the tree needs to be pruned. We've inherited too many people doing the same job. Well, that inherently creates conflict because it could be me. Am I, the, am I the odd man, odd person out? I think the key of making this merger, though, where one plus one equal three, is to go to the boss and say, Where are we going to be as a company in five years? Where are we going to be at the end of this year? What is our department's overarching vision and what are the corresponding goals? Once those are identified, now, if your boss doesn't know them, you have a serious challenge. You really do. You need to have shared vision, shared goals that your unit or your department or your team has bought into. And of course, you need to feel you're an integral part of something greater than yourself. But you need to start with the vision and the goals of the department and your boss. Your boss should have those. And if not, it sounds like it may be a different kind of challenge that it's time to go do something else because you can, you, you can get into the helicopter and see where a company that's going nowhere in particular is actually going. Uh, you may have to make a transition yourself. But I, you know, I, I think... With mergers and acquisition, there is an opportunity. And that opportunity, if you can help your boss grow, advance to the next level, and you're helping this person do that, well, hang on to their coattails. They can pull you up with them. (laughs) You know, because if I've got two or three people that are really supporting me and I'm going to the next level, I'm taking you with me because I know that I stood on your shoulders to get there. You got to come with me so we can go further. Um, So you can ask, what can I do better to help you reach your goals? But again, it comes back. What are your goals? Yeah. What is the vision? What is the timeline of this? And, And I would keep pushing my boss, vision, goals, timeline. And, And once you understand that, and maybe you're educating this person while you're doing it, If you don't have that, you will continue to be frustrated, and uh, I would start uh, looking at my resume 
a little bit closer <laughs> and, and maybe uh, bolstering it a little bit. You know, or to to pull it back to your optimistic outcome here, it could be that it's a huge advantage to you to have a boss that quite frankly could be in, in over his or her head, like you said, because if you help them win and, and they go to the top, this actually could work out very, very well for you with some optimism. Well, you know, I, I think I think America and the world is under extreme chaos. I really do. I think it's the most chaos that I've witnessed in my lifetime. But I will tell you this. In chaos, there's the greatest opportunity. There really is. And and I love chaos with a lot of my clients. A lot of my clients that have companies, there's chaos in their industry. And it's like, okay, out of this chaos, we're going to find the right path that's going to allow us to stick out like a shiny dime. And chaos is prevalent. That's where you need to have more discipline, more focus. But also when you're dealing with chaos, you need to bring with you a big heap of relaxation and enjoyment. Enjoy the challenge. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the process. And that brings us, Seth, to one of my favorite times. Not because it's the last part of the show, it's because I think it's what's needed. Yeah. And I don't know what's needed, but I know this. There's only five things you can order in the Zone Cafe. Let's go to the Zone Cafe. Can we do that? I'm ready. You're driving up. You can order some self-discipline, a big bucket of it, the willingness, the commitment to stay with the task to reach well-defined goals. Patience, strategy. Tactics, vision, do you need more discipline? And if you do, which arena do you need it in? Or you could order a big slab of concentration, the ability to put on blinders, really focus, not look around at all the negatives and not looking at the challenges, but going right to the solutions. Do you need some concentration? You can order that. Maybe that's what's needed to get you in the zone. Or do you need a big bag? And I'm talking huge bag of optimism. And inside that bag, you got confidence, trust, belief. You've got expectancy. And you've got a large sense of knowing. Would you like that? Will that help you get to the next level in any of the arenas in your life? Some more optimism? But I tell you, most of us don't order these last two. They're on the menu, and they're just as important. Do you need a tall drink of relaxation, little smoothie shots where you have a peaceful, calm, no worry, no anxiety, no fear, calm, jaw hinged, tongue relaxed, eyes relaxed, face, no stress, smooth, Always got your shades on. Even if you don't physically have them on, you're still cool in your own mind. Do you need a a big, tall drink of relaxation? Or maybe, maybe, maybe you need a giant slab of enjoyment, some fun, some excitement, some enthusiasm, some zest for living, some joy. Maybe you need to upgrade your hello. How you doing? I'm awesome. I'm two levels above awesome. Do you need some enjoyment in your life? Place your order, take whatever that is with you, and be aware of it. 
the awareness of it, even if you don't have it, that's going to fix it. The awareness that you're not relaxed will cause you immediately to unhinge your jaw and relax. The awareness that you're not confident will immediately get you to raise your chin above parallel and straighten up your posture. The awareness that you're not disciplined, well, maybe that's going to get that uh, list out where you can write all the arenas and go back over your visions and goals. Whatever you need, you can find it in the Zone Cafe. You know, Seth, we've had a great show. Uh, thank you very much, Jeff Kershell, for being on the show. He's an awesome guest. He will be back. And uh, Seth, anything I need to know? Anything uh, we should uh, impart with our listeners? Hey, all I can say is I'm going to the relaxation for for the next couple of days. That's definitely part of the score system I need right now. And just wherever you're at. So instead of a straw, thing. you're going to have a fire hose in that drink. <laughs> fire hose. A giant relaxation. But whatever it is you need, go get it off the score system. And as we always say, it gets you living in the zone, which is, of course, the only place to be. It's the only place to be. Until next week, be in the zone, everybody. Be in the zone. Chef Brian Duffy here. I've got a new show called Duffified Live that's unlike anything you've ever heard. Each week, I'm going to be talking to some of my friends, some people I've never even met before. We're going to be talking about people that I meet on the road through some of my experiences. We're talking about restaurants, talking about great stories, great guests, wild adventures, the whole nine yards. Get Duffified Live with me, Chef Brian Duffy, each week on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.